Hello and welcome to Signals from the Hill. My name's Stephen Walsh. Later in the show, we'll be talking to Rachel Smith about her life and working comics. But first up, this month's Avery Hill News. If you're listening to this on the 23rd or 24th of June, there's still time for you to head over to LCAF and see the Avery Hill crew that are there, including Luke Healy, who will be signing with us and also doing a talk on Sunday afternoon, and Tim Bird, who will be with us to launch The Great Northwood, his new book. LCAF itself takes place at the Round Chapel, 1D Glenarm Road, London E50LY. Then the weekend after, on Saturday the 30th, we'll be at Glasgow Comic Con, which will be hosted at the Royal Concert Hall in Glasgow. This month's store spotlight is on Gosh Comics in London. Gosh has been open for over 30 years now, has a tremendous range of all different kinds of comics and magazines and books, and also does a tremendous range of events in terms of signings, workshops, reading groups. If you head over to goshlondon.com, you can see what they've currently got on the slate, and you can always follow them on Twitter at Gosh Comics. And now, here's a little promo for another comics podcast we think you might enjoy. In the monthly radio show on comics, Panel Borders, you can hear Alan Moore. As you see this gradual rehabilitation of Godzilla. Sandy Toxvig. There's something about the cartoon world that, honestly, in these grim times, is rather preferable to flesh and blood sometimes. Chris Riddell. I have a draw in my studio. Um, it's the naughty draw. And many more writers and artists talking about their craft. More info at www.panelborders.wordpress.com. And now, let's have a chat to Rachel Smith. Hello, Rachel. How are you doing? I'm brilliant, thank you. How are you? Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. No, no problem at all. You were on my list from the start, if that doesn't sound uh, too menacing. Well, I've, every every time you've done one of these, I've been offended that you've not asked me. So, you know, I've been getting more and more angry. Uh, so you're lucky that you've got me on at this point because, you know, I was getting pretty... I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> it was this episode where you were like, I am walking away from this whole thing. I will burn these books. They're my books, I will burn them. Instead of bur- burning my bridges, I'll just burn stock <laughs> burn my Avery Hill. <laughs> just as an opening question were you reading comics as a kid my first foray into comics was sonic the comic yeah and uh, when i was at primary school that came out and i loved sonic i loved him so much i'd you know play the mega drive game before i went to school and that was the first thing i'd do when i got back home so to see him sort of talking in a comic kind of mind-blowing i was like wow he has a voice and he's saying things and he's as personality, that was kind of the first because this was, I think, before the cartoon. There was a cartoon as well. I think the comic came first, but um, I loved it. I loved it, and I remember copying out the pictures um, in a in uh, on some you know printer paper on the living room floor. After that, I kind of I kind of fell out with comics a little bit. I I don't know why, but I started to think they were just uh, superhero things, and I. I guess Sonic is arguably a superhero. You know, he's super fast, so he's got super speed. He's, yeah. So, um, yeah, I kind of, as I got older and I kind of grew out of Sonic, which I did, I promise. Yeah, I kind of just got into other things and I did fine art at uni and, um, and it wasn't until Scott Pilgrim came out and my boyfriend at the time was reading it and I was like, oh, I didn't know you liked comics, you know, like, like those people say. And uh, I was one of those people. And he was like, yeah, yeah, it's kind of like about life and about being 22. And, and, and I was like, oh, 23, I think, Scott Pilgrim. I think I was 22 when I read Scott Pilgrim. So I, was, I remember thinking, wow, he's, he's kind of my age. 
and I read the first one and then the penny just dropped. I was like, geez, comics can just be about anything. Like, they, like why have I, why have I never thought, <laughs> taught this before? So then I just started inhaling comics after that. And I was like, wow, yeah, I, I, all I know is that the superhero stories don't really turn me on. I, but all I have to do is avoid those and I'm, I'm good. Yeah, and it is a sort of golden age where there is a ton of, there, you know, there always has been, but like I think now there's a greater recognition that there's a ton of other stuff out there as well. I think I think Scott Pilgrim was oh. massive as well in terms of being that sort of uh, point of access for non-comics readers, where it was a thing where it's about music and it's about fashion and it's about relationships and there's okay. genre elements that sort of make it sort of heightened and, and more fun, but there's loads of like just really good human bits there, isn't there as well? Uh, exactly, yeah, and it's kind of, relationships if you were playing them as a computer game i suppose which you know i was interested in uh, relationships i suppose and and computer games like i never went off computer games I'm, I'm always always into that so yeah it was um and just being a little bit um a little bit lost in what you want to do you know you're between jobs and you're 23 and people expected a bit more of you and you're in a band that isn't going anywhere and and just that i found very relatable because <laughs> i'd just come out of uni and i was a bit like oh, i don't know really what i'm doing <laughs> with my life yeah i think um, the post sort of uni yeah. years where you you sort of particularly i think it in the sort of recent history just in terms of they're not being clear career paths perhaps and, and like jobs for life in a way that then possibly were sort of in previous generations i think it's been easy for people oh, to sort of drift a little more after university in, in recent years isn't it which was kind of the the inspiration for house party a little bit so there's i think there's a lot of sort of uh remnants of scott pilgrim in there although there's a lot more drinking and swearing in house party than there is in scott pilgrim um but yeah that was kind of i can really harness this feeling that I think a lot of my generation uh, uh, can relate to right now. I think also uh, just if you look at Canada and then the UK, there's always mm. going to be more drinking and swearing on one side of that divide than the other, isn't there? <laughs> you're just, you're just yeah. being true to, you, to where you're from. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that, that's interesting. I didn't know about the, the sort of Scott Pilgrim was like your your entry point, but I think you can that's definitely see, end, yeah. yeah, you can definitely see fine. echoes of that in your work where, again, there is that, that definite human quality and, and those sort of, you know, concerns about relationships and, you know, uh, specific yeah. societal roles that people expect to take on, but don't, don't necessarily want to sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think there always has been in my work as well that it, my work's always very, although I tell sort of different kinds of stories, sometimes they're all they're always very character driven. They always begin with the characters and I sort of hang the the story on on them and what what they want and what they need and even though some of them are quite fantastical like the rabbit which i did i did for avery hill it, it, it the characters the the characters are always i hope really and i hope people uh recognize those relationships between them chronologically on your website i think the earliest thing that's listed there is is vicky park a, a strip you did for the the Leicester Mercury, would that be your earliest sort of published work? My earliest work was One Good Thing, which I started, but that's okay. It, it, Vicky Park is the first listed thing on my website. Uh, I think One Good Thing is just a bit after that because it went on for, for longer. Um, but yeah, Vicky Park um, was my first paid gig in comics. It was this weekly strip I did for my local newspaper. I lived in Leicester at the time, um, which was my uni town. I got the gig because I was drawing One Good Thing on my lunch break and the editor saw me and then asked one of my colleagues to ask me if, you know, this is something I did more of. 
and yeah, eventually that that turned into me getting a gig. And in, in it was a new um, like supplement magazine for women. He was like, oh, can you? And one of the parks in Leicester is called Victoria Park, which gets shortened to Vicky Park all the time. So he he was like, can you do a strip about you know Vicky Park as a person? And uh, and I was like, yeah, brilliant, I can do that. That's almost like a dream commission, isn't it? You're just sitting there drawing someone goes, do you want a job? You're like, yes, please. That'd be great. Thank you. <laughs> I know. Hey, do you want to do more? But I'll give you money. I was like, um, yes. <laughs> let, let me think about that for a nanosecond. Um, but uh, yeah, that was great. And I did that for about three years, I think. And I only stopped because they stopped doing the magazine. Unfortunately, they, uh, they, they're going the way of most print newspapers, I think. They're getting a bit smaller and uh, more streamlined. But uh, yeah, we, uh, the magazine got cut. But, uh, but I really enjoyed doing that. And it was where I sort of cut my teeth on, on properly writing dialogue and, and writing punchlines and, and stuff. So I'm, I'm always really thankful for, for that opportunity because not only did it help me get a bit more money, but it, it helped me build on, on what I've now made a career. It's a massively sort of character focused piece, isn't it? That's the, the sort of oh. key to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it ended up being the relationship between Vicky and her little sister Abby, who and Abigail Park is a slightly smaller park in Leicester, fans. And um, so it was there the relationship between those two and and you know Vicky was very uh, they they were very different from each other, but they got on and and it was quite a warm sort of sense of humour that uh, they argued, but they they loved each other and yeah it, it was nice. I miss it, <laughs> but I, I can't bear to look at a lot of them now because I can draw so much better now. <laughs> and I'm like oh god. It looks horrible to me now. <laughs> and while you're doing that, of course, then you're moving into self-publishing. So as you mentioned, uh, One Good Thing, that was a, was a webcomic that I've, you had uh, print editions of as well, didn't you? Yeah. So it started off as a webcomic that I would do every day. I mean, I say comic. Sometimes it was just one picture. But the idea of that was um, I was going through a bout of depression at the time, uh, which I've always struggled with uh, throughout my adult life. And uh, my therapist at the time said, well, you know, you love drawing. Why don't you draw like positive things? And I was like, oh, well, like what, like something nice happened to me every day or something nice that I see every day? And they were like, yeah, exactly, exactly that. So I started and I thought, mm, it's going to be a bit silly. But I um, eventually was brave enough to publish some of them online and they got a really nice you know, nice following and people really liked them. And some of them were comics, like little funny things that people had said to me. And some of them were just, you know, I saw a nice cat home from work and I'd just draw the cat and stuff like that. And then when I had, when I'd been doing that for a few months, I thought, why don't I just go for it and get a very small print run of each month? So I think I did the first three months, like January, February, March or something like that. So the, the mini comics would be like, January and they'd be you know 30 30 something pages long yeah just get like 40 of each uh just stapled um just from my local printers I went and collected them on my lunch break and you know carried them home and and then I I took them to my first convention which was MCM London (laughs) so I really threw myself in the deep end there and they did really well and people really liked them um and I I opened a little uh, Etsy shop which I still today still had the same shop as when I started and uh yeah they people really liked them so I was like oh maybe this is something I could do a bit more of and uh because Vicky Park had given me a bit of confidence in writing dialogue and writing you know stories that I make up 
I thought maybe I could write a, a story. So I, I started thinking about doing mini comics that that weren't all about my face and uh, <laughs> things that happened to me. So yeah, <laughs> I started thinking about writing writing stories uh, properly. And that expands into things like the way we write and I am fire, the sort of fiction pieces. Yeah, they were my first two pro- like goes at, at writing a story and I was lucky enough to get really nice reviews from like actual comic press and I was like wow these people know who I am and <laughs> I kind of realized that I was I was on more radars than I thought I was I thought it was just my friends at Leicester and a few random people online but but it wasn't it was people were actually watching what I was doing at that point so yeah and I I, I mean I love I don't they're not in print anymore just because I think my work's come on a lot since then. But I do really, I still really like those two stories because they, they were very silly <laughs> stories. They weren't, they weren't very grounded <laughs> in anything. No, but I think that was one of the things for me personally. I, I, I have read them at the time and, and found them very sort of refreshing because a lot of uh, okay. sort of self-published stuff at the time uh, was there was a, a huge trend in sort of diary comics at the time. And the fiction stuff tended mm-hmm. to be very sort of genre So having things that were grounded but had a sort of heightened sense to them. I always think of my friend Jim uh, who says, uh, you know, uh, comics is crying out for a Coen Brothers where, you know, there is strong characters and fun dialogue and like really, you know, uh, you know, tightly plotted and meticulously put together, but also a bit zany in places and a bit funny in places and a bit odd in places. And that's the sort of of like tone, I think, that you really struck there, which is, as I say, was really refreshing. Oh, thank you. I think I've just always, um, I've always wanted to make stories that were kind of joyful rather than, because I think a lot, a lot of comics are getting really dark these days, like especially, you know, they've taken a lot of children's licensed things and just making them really dark and gritty. And I'm like, I just want just to make people laugh. And I want, you know, people to read my stories and feel better for them. And, and you know, and I, I I think that's a lot harder to do than than it's easier to make something really horrible. But to make something really warm and joyful is, is I think, harder, but but more rewarding, I think. For me, at least. And with uh, I Am Fire, um, there's a sort of thread that runs through there, isn't there, in, into the the work you end up doing with Avery Hill, where uh, yeah. one of the works you, you do after that uh, with Great Beast uh, is House Party, which okay. you sort of alluded to earlier. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. Um, so in I Am Fire, one of the main characters is Chris, who is a pyromaniac. And he's on the front of the book and everything. Like he's he's pretty important. Um, he's the catalyst, if you like, <laughs> for the <laughs> the quite terrible thing that happened. Um, it's still funny though, I promise. And then in House Party, we meet uh, Siobhan, uh, who is one of the three twenty-somethings living in a house share uh, together with two other people. That are, and all three of them are feeling very lost after uni. And uh, they, instead of doing anything productive about their predicament, they uh, just decide to throw a massive house party to try and uh, try and recreate days gone by, which uh, obviously goes uh, horribly wrong. So in Artificial Flowers, uh, which was the second book I did for Avery Hill, I decided to take Chris and Siobhan um, and make them brother and sister and sort of chuck them together and just see what happens. Because I... Cause both of the characters very well and I guess it, it, selfishly I knew I would have a lot of fun writing them together because uh, they're very different um, and yeah Artificial Flowers was just what came out of that. 
Well, I think with all of them, there's there's sort of like wonderful little elements that, as I say, you know, are not common in comics. Like the fact that uh, I am fire, you know, there are scenes in a haberdashery department, I think, was like <laughs> such a British yeah. oh thing God. to do. I drew so much wool. I drew so much wool. I, I never want to draw a ball of wool ever again. <laughs> and those like little, little things of um, cotton that you use for cross stitch. Yeah, I never want to draw them again either. They can they can do one. <laughs> I like your question in toners. If I was going to fill in with the name of those things, where <laughs> you know those ones, those ones, I don't. You know, Steve, the the things for crusted. You know, the things, the cotton things. <laughs> then with artificial flowers, you know, again, it's a, a a sort of a topic there with the the London art scene that's sort of ripe for for good uh, writing. And uh, I think throwing a pyromaniac into that is uh, is a great touch. But before that, as you mentioned, you'd done uh, The Rabbit uh, with Avery Hill, your first work. Um, how did that come about? Was that um, something where Ricky and Dave approached you? They, oh, this is, I'm going to sound mean now. So they wanted House Party, but I went with Great Beast instead. Um, so I cheated on Avery But then I went back to Avery Hill, so it's fine. We're all friends now. Um, so after they wanted house party, I said to them, look, I'm working on something else. If you're interested, if you're still interested in my work. And Ricky was very clever, Steve. He was like, why don't, cause I was doing a thing at the feminist library in London, like a comic workshop thing. And he said, why don't we meet up after you've done that? And I'll take you for a drink. And I was like, oh, immediately like, oh, I'm going to just say yes to this. Cause he's. <laughs> so uh, we met up but like more seriously he he looked at my pages and he was like yeah these are really really good we'd love to be involved in this in any way and and I was like okay well um let me think about it and he was like should we have some more drinks and I was like yeah okay and um, so so it just happened like that it was very organic and um yeah but um the rabbit I I always say at conventions like the rabbit is is my weird book like it really it kind of stands out a little bit because all of the others are like, yeah, this is about three people who live in a thing and they do the human things and they think about getting jobs. And I'm like, this one is about a giant rabbit who terrorizes two young girls. And they're just like, what? <laughs> are you sure this is by the same person? But no, I'm, I'm still I think the rabbit's still the book I'm I'm the proudest of because like, it's been my most ambitious sort of writing, I think, so far. I, I spent a long time working out the, the, the beats to that and, and the pacing and stuff. And I think that the drawing in it still holds up, even though it's a few years old. I, I'm still quite proud of the drawings in it as well. And yeah, it gets very surreal, which I don't think any of my other books really do. I think the sort of the, 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 the triumph of it is the fact that, that it does, it works as a consistent piece, given this this leap that you take is so brave to sort of go oh and by the way the rabbit that they found is now going to talk and grow and terrorize and you're like yeah sure <laughs> um but as i doing that narratively and holding it all together and having the characters develop through this situation and sort of giving it a, a sort of coherent ending i think is a remarkable piece of work and that was nominated for a british comic award i believe it did yeah and they I don't know. They must have counted the votes wrong because it didn't win. But um, 
Yeah, it was still very. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, who did win? Uh, Rob Davis won with um... Marvelous Oven. Yeah, that was the first one, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was the Marvelous Oven. It was the Marvelous Oven, um, which is fair enough because that book was amazing. In the surreal stakes, he—I mean, he won there, <laughs> even with my giant rabbit and my big animal orgy scene. Like, he definitely won that. But yeah, I, it, just being nominated did me a lot of good. Um, not just confidence wise, but again, I, I sort of found myself on a lot more radars than I had been because people were, you know, the British Comic Awards were very well respected and, you know, people were like taking notice of me. And and um, as you know, they were they, they were announced at um, Thought Bubble. So then a lot of the creators of the books that had been nominated were at Thought Bubble and people w- were coming around and just getting all of them because they were like, well, these are the five best books this year. So I was like, yeah, fair enough. There you go. Like, <laughs> um, so it was a really nice sort of marker for me. And also from just from a sales and marketing point of view, like, you know, you'd get a sheet of stickers that would come to oh, exactly. the shop, yeah. put it on the corner. And that, as you say, it's just an easy indicator for people, you know, members of the public who aren't sure about what they're to sort of help them navigate. People love awards because, like, oh, someone else has decided this yeah. is what I should read. So it's a sort of shortcut for them, I think, to sort of jump in, which is always useful. Talking of sort of being on radars and, and uh, in different places, I think one of the things that really struck me just looking back over your work is the number of different spaces that you've sort of worked in. I mean, obviously, you know, your own self-published stuff online and in print and starting off at the Leicester Mercury. But then, you know, you work with Aces Weekly, which is uh, David Lloyd's online comic, which is a, a, a great sort of space to be involved in and, and to be adjacent with, I think, as well, isn't it? When I did my first Comic-Con, the MCM London, I was lucky enough to be seated next to him. And he sort of looked at my work and he was like, can I take some of these away? And I was like, yeah, of course. Oh, my gosh. Uh, please have, have everything. Do you want my jacket? Do you want like please? And um, and he took them away that night and he came back the next day um, and was just like, I really like these. There's some things that maybe need ironing out, but but we can talk about that. And would you like to be a part of Aces Weekly? And I was again like, yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> Anything. Um, so, yeah, I did. Um, I did a short story called Clara's Shadow um, for Aces Weekly, which I think you can get in issue seven. But um, I would recommend that you subscribe to Aces Weekly as a whole because then you get so much, so much stuff. I think it's like one one pound a week or something silly and you get like a story a week. And it's an anthology. So you're getting a lot of different creators as well, which is always a lot of different creators and a lot of content. And it's curated by, you know, the amazing David Lloyd. So, you know, everything's going to be pretty good. But yeah, that was, um, again, an amazing like opportunity. And, you know, I was in the right, uh, the right place at the right time. But. You know, I, I I believe I wouldn't have got that if my work hadn't been up to scratch. So, you know, there was a bit of both. Uh. Yeah, it's not a bad experience at your first comic convention. It's just sort of like, oh, look, I'm sitting next to David. You know, being sitting next to David Lloyd is always oh, going to no. be useful just in terms of footfall. But, you know. And then you go on to work for Titan as well, doing uh, a, a backup strip in their Doctor Who comics, which, again, is a, a great sort of showcase for your work, isn't it? Yes, I was so excited when I got that gig. Uh, I cried, actually, <laughs> a little bit. I was so, so overwhelmed because I was like, finally, I'm doing something that like my brothers will know what it is. And I don't I don't have to explain to them what it is. I'll be like, well, I don't, don't think I'm going to read that. Um, they're like, wow, Doctor Who. OK, so you're doing a proper thing now. <laughs> but no. And, and yeah, I, I was so lucky to get that gig. I got to choose my doctor. So I chose the 10th doctor. 
and I did a lot of research, did a lot of watching the show. It's a great sandbox to play in as well. Like, the, you know, the, the universe oh, exactly. of Doctor Who, you can sort of dig around and find all sorts of things. And then, as you say, play around with how you're going to use them. Yeah, I'm really proud of those strips. They're really funny. And I did I did like a, a story about him getting a cat. I did a, a series, if you like, where um, he meets one of his old enemies or a monster and the enemy has got a, a menial job that's sort of relevant to their skills or their evil intent uh, on Earth. So, for example, there was a, a, a Centauran uh, who was running a burger van, but because he's so full of honour, he would only kill the endangered deer in the forest he was in to make the burgers out of. So, uh, yeah, the doctor had to put a stop to that one. But, um, yeah, or there's an Ood who, uh, who works in the Genius Bar at the... What did we call them? We didn't call them uh, the brand name, obviously. Uh, I think a my what we called them my watches. He was like had a my watch instead of his uh, <laughs> communication orb and uh, things like that. Just really, really silly. Again, just very zany and not really very grounded in anything. But that's what they wanted. They didn't want something that was anything like the interior story. They wanted the the end strip to just be sort of a a palate cleanser if you like um at the end like if, especially if the story inside was a bit depressing i think also as well there's a, a a nice tradition in uk comics of having uh a sort of quite straight up serious dramatic main strip and then having uh gag strips dotted around like lou stringer uh would turn up in all sorts of yeah. marvel comics in the 80s doing combat colin and other sort of odd little things that yeah. were sort of related i love blue Springer. i think he's amazing as a person as well as a as a as a creator and obviously he did some of the sonic the comic uh strips for kids so yeah we yeah no he he's a lovely a lovely bloke but yeah he's doing some really nice stuff at the minute like put parade is really sweet as well in, in the bino and uh, a really interesting uh website and blog where he posts about all sorts of interesting things yeah. new and old yeah he's been very kind about my work on there before which is really nice of him and in terms of your work uh now i know you've got a few sort of few things sort of ticking over do you want to let us know what your your latest projects are i've got my fingers in some pies um yeah <laughs> my well my main thing is uh my new book my new graphic novel um called isabella and bloodwin which is currently crowdfunding on Unbound. We'll be publishing it. And that is about, it's based on a real item in a museum, in the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford. And uh, it's uh, the item is a, a bottle, uh, which is said to contain a witch. And uh, when the lady who gave the museum the bottle, she made them promise to never open it because she was so con so convinced there was a witch in it and she she thought if they let them out then it would be just be chaos um so although the museum has has uh x-rayed it and um you know looked at it a lot and photographed it they've never opened it and my story the book is about what would happen if someone did so yeah isabella is the the girl who opens the bottle and bloodwin is the witch who emerges and um causes a lot of stuff to happen uh, but yes yeah, so i'm working on that right now how can people support isabella and bloodwin as a project rachel easiest way is to just go to unbound.com and search for isabella and bloodwin or you can just search for rachel smith and it will come up but yeah 
It's pretty easy. <laughs> I'm going to be in the 24 Panels anthology. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's um, uh, an anthology that's being edited by Kieran Gillen. Oh, for, um, is it Grenfell related? Yes, yeah. So, so that's going to be published by Image, and it should be out by Christmas. And, um, yeah, all the proceeds are going to go to the Grenfell uh, survivors. And the strip I'm doing has been written by Paul Cornell, who I've worked with before on a couple of Doctor Who things. So it's been really nice to work with him again. And I'm also going to be in um, the Thought Bubble anthology. Yeah, also published by Image, I believe. So I'm Im imaging all over the place. But um, yeah, obviously the proceeds of that go to uh, Bernardo's. And my strip is about um, my part-time dog that I mentioned earlier. Well, I mean, Dolly, Dolly is a dog full-time, but I'm her... I'm her part-time owner <laughs> and it's kind of been about the, the uh, kind of, yeah, going out for walks with her and how that's done my mental health good and stuff. So yeah, those are some things that I'm doing right now. And just going back to my earlier point about you turning up in lots of different places and spaces. Now, legitimately on your mm -hmm. Wikipedia entry, you can put image comics creator and then you click on that and it'll be you and Jim Lee and Mark Silvestri and Todd McFarlane, yeah. you know, yeah, I've been in the uh, Thought Bubble anthology before, actually. So, yeah, even though it was just one page, I'm always like, yeah, I've worked for Image. Yeah, <laughs> like one page. I don't say it was one page. I mean, it could have been a whole series. But, yeah, <laughs> when I was applying for New York Comic Con, I was like, yeah, Image was very important. And, uh... <laughs> and you got into New York Comic Con, didn't you? And I got in. <laughs> have you done a show overseas before? Yeah. I mean, I did... A New York Comic Con with the Aces Week people, but I did that in 2013, and obviously I only had a little bit of a table to have my own stuff on. I've never been just on my own, and I've done I've done TCAF a couple of times, which has been really nice. Um, and I've done oh, and with uh, Avery Hill last year, Dave and Ricky very kindly took me, and um, I've done Emerald City Comic Con as well in Seattle, where again I just had table so i think this is oh i had a full table in tcaf one year this will be the first time in american con where they've given me a whole table just for me so i feel very very nervous about living up to that for them but hopefully hopefully i can well you've got plenty of things to put on the table now i've got a lot of i've got a lot of books if i don't burn them if i don't burn them <laughs> rachel thank you so much for talking to us thanks so much for having me this has been so much fun yeah i'm sure we'll do it again yes please See you later. Okay, bye. Thanks again to Rachel for talking to us, and thank you for listening. See you next month. This show is a Holdfast Network production. Go to holdfastnetwork.com for other programs you may enjoy.